podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. So we are into the Major League Baseball regular season. It's no longer March, but I have five more of these season previews to do, including today. I've spent every day in March previewing all 30 Major League Baseball teams in alphabetical order. So today is April 5th, and I continue on with the St. Louis Cardinals. So because the season is already underway, I will spend less time talking about the team's history and I will spend more time on my immediate impressions from the opening weekend of baseball. So I'll do that. Then I'll go through a recap of the offseason, position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench prospects before I finish with my philosophy on the team. So the St. Louis Cardinals, they were really the team most affected by COVID in 2020. They had to play 53 games in 44 days, most of those being doubleheaders. They had to bring up players from literally their single A affiliate because so many players were affected. And I think overall, no matter what the outcome was of their season, just that they got through it was enough. But the Cardinals did finish over 500, 30 wins, 28 losses in the 60-game schedule. They made the postseason for the second straight year, even though they didn't win the NL Central. And then... The Cardinals went out this offseason and grabbed arguably the best third baseman in the league in Nolan Arenado. But, but before I talk about Arenado, let's talk about the 2021 season so far. The Cardinals currently sit at 1-2 on the season. They dropped two out of three games to a division rival, the Cincinnati Reds, that were not favored very heavily. Whereas the Cardinals, I think if you talk to the majority of people, the they would consider the Cardinals to be the NL favorite, mostly because of Nolan Arenado. I disagree. I've mentioned before that I think the Brewers will win the division for an array of reasons that I will get into soon. But I'll just give some immediate impressions from these first three, first three games. In game one, the Cardinals came out strong offensively, especially with their young guys, which is a good sign because the Cardinals' offense has been a glaring weakness of late 11-6 win over the Reds. Carlson, Dylan Carlson, the highest-ranked prospect in the Cardinals system, and also left fielder Tyler O'Neill homered. In Game 2, the Cardinals lost 9-6, and this game was really dominated by the brawl between Nick Castellanos and Yadier Molina. And then in Game 3, an absolutely brutal loss, 12-1. to So I'll talk about that brawl quickly because it's Monday as I'm recording, and the news came out today that Nick Castellanos will be serving a two-game suspension for inciting that brawl. So here's where I stand on it. I'm fine with the ejection, and I'm fine with the two-game suspension. It's really not a big deal, especially in a full 162-game season. What I do have a problem with is that the, the Reds started this. Jake Woodford, I believe, was pitching... And he pegged Nick Castellanos. And then Castellanos got to first, he got to third, he ended up scoring on a wild pitch. And when Woodford came to cover home plate, Castellanos kind of flexed over him and yelled in his face. That really got Yachty upset. Yachty touched Castellanos. Castellanos didn't lay a finger on anybody. He was actually seen backing away. So I think if Castellanos was going to get a suspension for inciting a bench-clearing brawl, Molina should at least have the same punishment. So that's where I stand on it. Of course, there's a lot of controversy because in a moment of passion, something that the MLB wants to see more often, of course, it gets 
Castellano gets punished for it. But that's where I'll leave it there. And my initial pressure just on, on the series as a whole, right now, it's not enough. What the Cardinals are doing isn't enough to beat the Brewers in the Central. It's not enough to beat the Cubs. And their pitching and their defense and offense just aren't cutting it. So in game one, in game ones through three, the pitching trio of Jack Flaherty, who when he is on, can be a top 15 pitcher in the league. He was not on in game one. In game two, you had Adam Wainwright out there, who it's it's excellent that he came back to the Cardinals where he's been for years and years. When he has to be relied on to be the two starter, that's not a great sign for your club. And then Carlos Martinez, who I think is supremely underrated, just didn't have it, gave up four earned runs in five innings. So the pitching isn't there. That late tertiary plus options in the pitching rotation showed that it can't really be relied on too heavily and the offense couldn't get going besides the first game. So now let's wrap up that offseason. The Cardinals really vaulted themselves into the title of NL Central favorites when they landed Arenado. They also landed a pretty nice $51 million from the Rockies. They didn't have to give up too much for Arenado. They still keep their farm system intact. They did lose Colton Wong, a a really franchise player at second base who has provided such incredible defense for them. Also Dexter Fowler, Brad Miller, the super versatile infielder, and then Austin Gomber who went over to the Rockies who provided nice rotation depth for the Cardinals last season. Let's get into the position battles now and I'll go through what we saw in games one through three, and then who we might see in the future when they get healthier. So I mentioned that I think the biggest weakness for the Cardinals are definitely offense, generating runs. It helps having Arenado in there now, who's one of the best hitters in the game, but you still have a glaring weakness. And then pitching besides Jack Flaherty. You know that he's great. Who's going to slot in as the two, three, four, five guys? That being said, the position battles... The defense ranked fourth in defensive efficiency last year. The Cardinals have a great, great, great defense. They did lose Wong, but I think they are still in the upper echelon of solid defensive teams, along with the Brewers and the Twins, etc. But even though their defense is that good, they can't generate runs. In 2020, they finished in the bottom half of the league in almost all offensive categories, slugs, Slug, how many runs they scored, how many home runs they hit, all solo. And you pretty much are bringing all the same guys back. You add Arenado, can he make up for the eight other spots? So catcher, Yadier Molina, there were potentially rumors that he was going to retire, but the Cardinals ended up signing him back. I think that is a perfect way to continue his career. He's been in the league since 2004 won two World Series, eight consecutive gold gloves from 2008 to 2015, which was really his prime. You can't rely on him for those old numbers that you used to see, but he is still a threat, both behind the plate and at the plate. Now you have Paul Goldschmidt, and I am willing to bet, I actually don't think this is too hot of a take, that the Cardinals have the best corner infield in the league with Paul Goldschmidt at first and Nolan Arenado at third, both offensively and defensively. Paul Goldschmidt, he's known more for his glove now, but when he was in his prime, man, this guy, he has been an MVP consideration in every year 
since 2014. He's also got four platinum gloves to show for it. At second base, this one was potentially open throughout spring training, but the way that the injuries all shook out, it's going to be Tommy Edmond. His greatest value is that he's a switch hitter. He's incredibly fast. The Cardinals have a lot of really quick sprint guys in their lineup, so he'll bat up towards the top of the order and can hopefully be the table setter for some of these power guys behind him. At third, I mentioned Nolan Arenado. I mean, I could spend 10 minutes talking about all of his accolades. He needed to get out of Colorado so that he could be on a bigger stage. He gets that in St. Louis. He can have better organizational harmony. He gets that in St. Louis. And he also has a team with a much higher ceiling. He gets that with the Cardinals. So I think it's the perfect fit. Arenado had a down 2020 like so many other players in the league. I don't think you can put any stock into that. He was dealing with a shoulder injury. He's done well so far in the limited sample size in this 2021 season. And I think he continues to be a top 10 hitter in the league. Shortstop, Paul DeYoung. Every single year, Paul DeYoung starts out so hot that he talks himself into MVP consideration. He plays himself into MVP consideration, and then it fizzles out, and he usually doesn't hit over 250. So it's a really interesting case. You're seeing that already. Paul DeYoung had two homers in a game over the weekend against the Reds. He was an all-star in 2019. That was when he was able to keep up his offensive production all year long. Usually it's more segmented to the first half of the year and then fizzles out a bit in the second half. But I think 2021 is important for DeYoung to show that he can be durable the entire year. He's got the glove. Again, you talk about DeYoung being definitely in the bottom half of shortstops in the league. He can still go out there and hit 20-plus home runs. Shortstop has become such a competitive position that he just doesn't have the star power to keep up with the Lindors, with the Bogarts, with the Correas, with the Seegers. But Paul DeYoung is still very, very talented in the most important position in the infield. Now we go to the outfield this outfield, so I talked about the weaknesses being how are they going to generate runs and how is this pitching staff going to be over a course of a full schedule. The other thing that the Cardinals have to worry about, how is their young talent going to develop? This is an absolutely crazy statistic. The outfield, the three guys that I'm going to talk about, Tyler O'Neill in left, Justin Williams in center because Harrison Bader is hurt, and Dylan Carlson in right have a combined 575 career plate appearances. Adam Wainwright has a higher total of career plate appearances. So this group is young. So far, they've played well. Dylan Carlson is a heavy favorite for National League Rookie of the Year. But these guys, I mean, they are seeing the big leagues for either the first time or for the first full season. Justin Williams played in five games in 2020. Dylan Carlson's the highest prospect in the system. And Tyler O'Neill and Carlson hit home runs on opening day. So they seem to be adjusting well so far. Of course, we're going to see how they do throughout the full season. You'll also might see a platoon against righties and lefties between Justin Williams and Austin Dean before Harrison Bader comes back. So even though they're young and they don't have a ton of experience... All of these players have still pushed three-time All-Star Matt Carpenter to a bench role on the Cardinals. I think that is very much worth noting because Mark Matt Carpenter has had a very illustrious career 
And these guys have just outcompeted him. I think they definitely, you saw Carpenter over the weekend. He definitely is still utilized relatively heavily. But the infield is pretty locked up. And even guys like Edmund can play in the outfield if Carpenter ever is going to get time there. It'll be a lot of switching around from manager Mike Schilt. Now, well, I'll, men- I'll mention Harrison Bader. He is on the IL with a forearm injury. It's something he's dealt with before. When he returns, he'll be the starting center fielder. It'll be really nice to have his speed and have his defensive prowess back. Now let's move to starting pitching. I've mentioned Jack Flaherty. He can be a top 15 pitcher in the league when his stuff is good. In 2019, when his stuff was good, he finished fourth in Cy Young voting. He led the National League in whip. And then in 2020, he had his worst statistical year yet, a 4.94 ERA. Again, I'm not putting too much stock of it because I know how good he can be, even though he had a rough spring training and he looked rough in his first start. The velocity is okay. It's really just the command that still needs to come along. Jack Flaherty will be fine. I have no worries about Jack Flaherty. I do have worries about the next four or five guys. Miles Michaelis and Kwon Hung Kim most likely would have been the two and three guys. They are both on the IL to start the season. Hung Kim is actually very underrated. He had a great year last year. A missed his move to America, which I've talked about a lot with guys like Yusei Kikuchi on the Mariners and Hassan Kim even, you kind of expect their first year in Major League Baseball to be a washout because they are adjusting to so much. Kim didn't really have that adjustment. He did well. And then Miles Michaelis missed all of 2020, recovering from Tommy John. So he would have been a wild card anyway. Kim would have been a nice piece to have to start the season, but it didn't work out that way. So you saw Adam Wainwright, who also re-signed with the Cardinals this offseason. You saw him in Game 2. This guy has been absolutely incredible for so many years. He's been in the league since 2005. He is the, he has, I should say, the highest Cy Young share of any non-winner, which means he has been just about as close to winning the award as anyone else in the league. And even though he has had some incredible historical seasons, he still has not won the elusive Cy Young Award. I wanted to highlight 2013, where he threw 241 and two-thirds innings pitched. You might never see that number again, the way that starting pitching and the bullpens are projecting in the future. He had 34 starts, 19 wins, 5 complete games, two shutouts. His FIP was 2-5-5, and he finished second in Cy Young voting that year to none other than Clayton Kershaw, who led the league in pretty much every single category. He was just outperformed by the better pitcher, but man, you just wish that Wayno could have had one Cy Young to his name. It doesn't matter because his name still holds such historical influence And I'm glad that he's in St. Louis for another year. I just hope that these pitchers can improve around him. One of those guys, Carlos Martinez. Even though he didn't look great in his first outing over the weekend, before 2020, Martinez has never had a FIP higher than four. He has always been below four. 2020 was a wash. Even, Even 2019, it was higher than usual. But this guy has great numbers, great stuff. He's moved around a lot, which I think has 
led people to forget about him a bit. But when he's on, he can be on. So I don't have too many worries about him. The guy who will be getting the start today is Danielle Ponce de Leon. In 2020, 32 innings pitched. He has a 31% strikeout rate. 41% hard hit rate, which is just about average. His FIP, though, 5.64. So he gives up a lot of runs, a lot of hits. And then behind him, you have John Gant, who only threw 15 innings in 2020, in the short in 2020. Those two guys are the emergency options because Michaelis and Kim aren't available. I think you could see some fluctuations between those two guys and then maybe even some more guys in the bullpen if Michaelis and Kim if their returns are delayed. So now let's move to the bullpen. Some Somebody that every single Cardinals fan should be excited about, Jordan Hicks. He pitched for the first time this weekend since June of 2019 because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, and then he opted out of the 2020 season. He's thrown 103 miles per hour. He's back to that form in 2021, throwing triple digits. It is so good to have him back, and it puts such a incentivizer in that bullpen. It makes the Cardinals so much stronger just to have Hicks healthy and ready to go. Behind him, you do have some other high-quality arms in Andrew Miller, in Tyler Webb, in Alex Reyes, even in Jake Woodford, who now is going to be known as the guy that Nick Castellanos flexed over, but he has still pitched some decent innings for the Cardinals so far. Prospects, they have three players on MLB's top 100 list. I mentioned Dylan Carlson, the highest Cardinals prospect, number 13 overall. Behind him, you have Matthew Liberatore, the left-handed pitcher, number 36. I think you could see him this season because of all the injuries so far, and we're only three games into the season. And then you also have Nolan Gorman at third base, who is ranked 37th overall. That spot is obviously blocked now by the best third baseman in the game, Nolan Arenado. So it'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals dangle him as a trade piece or if they can move him to another position. But Nolan Arenado is definitely the third baseman of the future in St. Louis. So talking about the future, Pakoda has the St. Louis Cardinals at 79 wins, having them finish third in the Central. I definitely disagree with third place. I think the Cardinals pretty comfortably finished second behind the Brewers. I predicted Milwaukee would have between 85 and 87 wins. I had to go back and re-listen to that episode just so I could remember. So that means I'm definitely going over on the Cardinals. I'm not, I can't remember exactly what I said for the Cubs win total, but it was probably around 80 to 85. I think the Cardinals will be in the 84 to 86 range. So Brewers, 85 to 87, Cardinals, 84 to 86, Cubs, 80 to 84. That's where I think it'll pan out. I really do think, I mentioned it before, a bad skid could derail a team's playoff hopes. I truly believe that. And injuries could derail a team's playoff hopes. That's true for every team, but especially in a division as competitive as this one, where one game could decide who gets the bid, especially, it's especially important this year, because I think the two wildcard bursts are pretty much locked up already. Definitely the Padres and the NL West, and then some combination of an NL East team, either the Braves, the Mets, the Nats, or the Phillies, because 
the Phillies got out to a much harder start than I had ever anticipated. But anyway, going back to these Cardinals, I think they're definitely over 79 wins. I think they're behind the Brewers, and that's just because even though Flaherty might be a better pitcher than Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns, the guys behind him can't compete. And I'm not saying that the tertiary plus options for Milwaukee are excellent, but I think Milwaukee can generate more runs in the comeback of Christian Yelich and Jackie Bradley and Colton Wong even. Behind Flaherty, I don't have a lot of confidence in Adam Wainwright going out there and being the lockdown winner for this team. Behind Arenado, Goldschmidt, and maybe Paul DeYoung, I don't have a ton of confidence in how many runs this team can generate. I'm high on Carlson. I'm high on O'Neal. I like the young talent. I think the Cardinals have a good farm system. And they really didn't have to expend any key pieces in the Arenado trade, which is excellent on their behalf. But I just, I, ha- I have a lot of weaknesses with this team. And I think the first series of the season proved that. The pitching isn't great. They can't score a ton of runs. And the relief pitching behind Hicks also isn't locked down. So even though Arenado definitely makes them a better team, nobody can argue that, I still don't think it makes them favorites in the NL Central. So that'll wrap up my season preview of the St. Louis Cardinals. Make sure, as always, to check the link in the bio of this episode for any previous season previews that you missed that were published on SoundCloud before I switched over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. So thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow for my Tampa Bay Rays season preview.